if you were to ask people who are the favorite woman, who, who's your favorite woman in the Bible, many people would say Esther. Some would say Ruth. And uh, yet maybe not many would say the one that actually is the favorite in the Bible, and that's Mary. And so this morning, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. We're going to talk about the Virgin Mary. We don't know a whole lot about Mary, but we do know the, some things about her. Some things we know from Scripture, of course. Some things we know from uh, culture and history of the time in which they live. C.S. Lewis once said that when people think about demons, they make two great mistakes. Some people make way too much of demons, and they see demons as responsible for everything, even their own bad choices. But he said the other error is to not make enough of demons and to belittle and uh, set them aside and act as though they don't even really exist and think of them just as something of myth and fantasy. So the same thing's possible with Mary. We can make too much of Mary. And uh, there are some who actually have, have declared that Mary was sinless, that Mary was, in fact, virgin-born herself, that she was uh, assumed into heaven like Jesus was, and they have uh, made too much of Mary. They've actually eliminated the fact that she herself <laughs> needed a Savior. Mary was a sinner, just like you are a sinner, like I'm a sinner, and she glorified and praised God for her Savior. She needed a Savior just as we do. So some people make way too much of Mary. They, there's a, the, some people even so much as say that she was a co-redemptrix, it's called. That she, she actually, uh, in fact, there's a cross, there's a, a cathedral down in, uh, I think it's in Mexico, where uh, they have a cross and they have Jesus on one side of it and they have Mary on the other side of it, as if somehow or another she helped pay for our sins. Well, that's making too much of Mary. But uh, whereas the uh, Roman Catholic Church may make too much of Mary, uh, Baptist churches tend to make too little of Mary. She was a glorious, wonderful woman. In fact, the Bible says she was blessed among all women. And that every generation after her would call her blessed or blessed. And we should learn some lessons from Mary. Now what we do know about Mary, according to their culture in that day, was that she probably was very young. Girls in that day usually married around 14 or 15, 16 years old. Uh, and they usually married a man who was probably 10 or 12 years older because the men did not marry young because they had to have time to build a house, to establish a, a home, to establish uh, an occupation, and to be able to provide for a, for a wife and children. And so it's possible that Joseph was maybe in his 20, mid to late 20s, maybe even early 30s. It's possible that Mary was just uh, 14 to 16 years old. And again, the Bible doesn't tell us the exact age, but uh, the, we do know that the culture of that day, that girls married very young. They usually married a man uh, 10 to 12 years older. So it's very possible. That that's part of that speculation and so forth. But most people would agree that that's true. So if that's the case, 
Mary might have been uh, about uh, about your age, and uh, and she and Joseph. Anybody here, twenty-seven, twenty-eight years old? Uh, all of our, all of that age, they ha they're not here this morning. Not that we were looking for anybody that age, but I just uh, thought I would would mention that. But uh, but so so uh, when when the angel appeared to Mary, and we read about it in uh, in Luke chapter one, it says in the sixth month. This is the sixth month of Elizabeth's. Uh, uh, pregnancy the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth and he was sent to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary and the angel came to her and said greetings O favored one the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And you can imagine, I have tried to imagine, uh, someone uh, uh, 14, 15 years old, and an angel appears to them. That in itself would be terrifying, I would think. And then for the angel to start speaking to them and saying, you are blessed. Greetings, O favored one. And the Bible says that she was trying to determine what, what this means, what's going on here, as you could well imagine. And the angel said, do not be afraid, Mary. It's probably a little too late for him to say that. She already was afraid, but he says... Stop being afraid. Settle down. Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, Yeshua. It's the word for Savior. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of God. The Son of the Most High, the Lord God, will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. That was just an amazing announcement. Basically, this angel says, Mary, you are going to bear the Messiah. You are going to have a child. That child, you'll name him Savior. You'll name him Yeshua. You'll name him Jesus. And he will be great, and ultimately, he will sit on the throne of David, and he will rule. And the government, as Isaiah said, will be upon his shoulders, and he will reign and rule. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how? How can this be? I... I'm not yet married, I'm betrothed, I'm engaged to Joseph, but I'm not married. And if I'm to conceive and bear a child, I don't know how that's possible because I've never been with a man. I have not had any relations sexually with any man, and so how could it be I'm still a virgin? 
And the angel answered and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her. And then Mary said, and to me this is one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel she said, this is overwhelming. This is amazing. This is almost too much for me to take in. But whatever you say, whatever God's will is for my life, then I receive it. I accept it. Surely she knew, even at that moment in her mind, some of the ramifications. She must have wondered, what will Joseph think? She is engaged to be married. And now she's going to be, have to say to her husband-to-be, I'm going to have a baby. And what man would believe a woman who said, an angel appeared to me and the Spirit of God implanted the seed of God in my womb and united with the, my Oba and the child that I'm carrying is not your child for sure, but it's not any other man's child either. It's the Son of God. How would Joseph take it? What would he think? Well, we do know that he did have a hard time with it, as I would have if when Carol and I were engaged, if she had come to me and said, Honey, I'm pregnant. And I, I would have said, uh, Well, how'd that happen? And surely Joseph thought the same thing. And... He actually considered having a private ceremony to actually annul their betrothment and put her away privately. But thankfully, an angel appeared to him, the same angel, in a dream and said, Do not be afraid to take Mary to be your wife because that which is in her is indeed the Son of God. And he married her. And I've, so many times I've thought about Joseph and Mary, what kind of home they had, how they must have looked at Jesus. And, of course, we know from the birth narrative in chapter 2 that they went to travel to Bethlehem because of the decree of Caesar Augustus. And while they were there, 
no room in the inn, and so they stayed in a, a stable, perhaps a cave of some kind, and then she gave birth in that stable and laid her baby in a feeding trough. And looking at that child, can you imagine? After having had this information given to her, and she holds that baby in her arms and says his name is Savior. This is Jesus. This is my Savior, our Savior. God has sent him to be the Savior of the world. And as she had the great responsibility, and Joseph as well, had the great responsibility of raising the Son of God, teaching him to walk, teaching him to talk. In his humanness, he had to learn just like you and I had to learn. In his deity, he already knew everything. But in his humanness, he had to be trained and learn just like any other baby has to learn. I imagine the first time that he said, Ema, which was the Aramaic word for mommy, Ema, Abba, and Joseph and Mary raising baby Jesus, child Jesus. And up until he was 12 years old, they wondered, when will, he, when will he begin his work as Savior? And when he was 12, they took him to the temple and they lost him. <laughs> it's pretty amazing, isn't it, to lose Jesus. I'm afraid a lot of people lose him even at Christmas time. But they, they went back to try to find him and they found him in the temple debating and discussing theology and the Torah with the smartest men, rabbis of their day. And when they reprimanded him a little bit and said, why have you done this to us? We couldn't find you. He said, I'm surprised you couldn't find me. Surely you knew that I would be about my father's business. And from that time on, until he was 30 at least, the Bible says that he went back home and he was subject to his parents. He did whatever mom and dad said. Somewhere along, along that period of time, from 12 to 30, Joseph must have died. And Jesus, being the firstborn son, assumes the role and responsibility of the family. Mary and Joseph did have other children. They had uh, uh, sons and they had daughters. And so Jesus was the big brother in the home. And he was responsible. After Joseph died, he would have been responsible to lead the home. And then at age 30, his heavenly father told him it was time now to begin the work. And he goes to the Jordan River. He's baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. And 
He begins to call disciples. He begins to teach with amazing teachings, clear, wonderful teachings. He began to proclaim and preach, and he began to perform miracles, mighty miracles, amazing things that he did, even raising people from the dead. And while there were many who were amazed at him and many who were uh, affectionate toward him, the religious structure of that day despised him. And they determined that he must be eliminated. And they engineered it in such a way that he was crucified. Falsely accused, brought to false trial, fake trial after fake trial, and finally sentenced to die. And all this time they thought, we're in charge. But the book of Acts tells us that it was all according to the predetermined plan of God. The death of Jesus was not a murder. It was not even an execution. It was a willing sacrifice. He became the lamb upon the altar slain for the sins of the very ones who put him there. He died in my place and in your place. And Mary was there. Can you imagine, mothers, can you imagine seeing your 33-year-old son dragged through the streets, beaten, almost unrecognizable, his beard pulled out, bruises all over his face, a crown of thorns pressed into his scalp, blood running all down his face, and his back lacerated to ribbons. And you, his mother, are watching and then you go with him to the cross and you watch them nail your son to a cross and you stay there with him for six long hours until he dies and then she was there with him when they took him down off the cross and she took whatever spices she could and wrapped him again in swaddling clothes. I just wonder as she was wrapping his crucified body, if she might not have had a flashback to that night he was born, where she wrapped him up in linen cloth and laid him in a manger. But now she's wrapping him in linen cloth to lay him in a tomb. But she was also there after he rose from the dead. And it was because of that that she could say, he is not only my son, he is my savior. Because when he died on that cross, he died for Mary, just like he died for me, and he died for you. Mary sang a song 
after it was announced that she was to have a child, and we learn a lot about Mary from this song. It's in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and following. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. That's you and me from generation to generation. Those who fear him, those who trust him, those who receive him, his mercy is for them. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. In these verses, there are some things that we learn about Mary that I think are important. I just jotted down a couple of things here. When I think about Mary, I see she was humble. Humility is something that she sings about. He says, she says, I understand that throughout the world there are those who are pri- proudful. They're uh, prideful. They're those who are arrogant. They're those who think they have it all together. And he said, God has pushed them aside. But to those who are humble, To those who recognize that they have a need, he demonstrates his grace. The apostle James, or or the brother of Jesus, James, would say later, God gives grace to the humble, but he pushes away the proud. So we see in her a humility, also an eager obedience. Sometimes we're called upon by the Spirit of God and the Word of God to do things that are hard, to forgive our enemies, to love those that hate us and things like that. And we think, well, I don't know that I can do that. Mary was called to do something even more amazing. And she said, I'm willing. God, whatever you say, I'll do. That eager obedience. And then that spirit of submission. She was submissive to the Roman government, which was over her at the time. She went with her husband to be enrolled at the decree of Caesar Augustus. She was submissive to her husband. She was submissive to her parents. And she was mostly submissive to God. And then I see in her joy. She says, my soul rejoices. And there was joy in her heart. At the birth of Jesus, there was joy. Pain, yes, but joy in giving birth to the Son of God. And there was an attitude of respect and reverence. There was a willingness to suffer in order to do what God asked her to do. 
Those are qualities that I want in my life. I want to be humble. I want to be eager to obey. I want to be filled with joy, even in times of challenge. I want to be respectful of those who are in authority over me. And I want to be willing to suffer for truth. So Mary is an amazing woman. We learn a lot from her, her example. We learn a lot from her song. But mainly we learn from her that she recognized Jesus as the Son of God. She, above all people, knew that he was, in fact, the Son of God. She knew it first. She was the first to know. Mark Lowry's written a song. We love it. I, we, I love the song. It says, Mary, did you know? And the fact is, she did know. <laughs> she knew more, maybe, than anybody else. And I'm sure that there were times when Jesus, as a little boy, stumbled and fell and scraped his knee, and she was bandaging his knee and kissing his boo-boo or whatever, you know, that she may have called it back at that time that uh, she must have thought this is God's child, God's only son. And I have the responsibility of taking care of him, training him, teaching him. And the Bible says that he grew, and he grew in, in stature. That is, he got bigger, just like babies do. But he also grew in favor with God and with man. So, don't elevate Mary to the position of Jesus. She's not in a place where she can be your Savior. But don't lower her from the greatness that God has given to her. So we honor her as the mother of Jesus. There is a theological term called theotokos, which means the mother of God. It sounds strange to us, and yet what it's saying is that the child that she was carrying that would call her mother was in fact God. In the flesh, the mother of of God. So, Merry Christmas to each and every one of you. Do you want those qualities in your life? I want them in my life that I see illustrated in Mary. Wouldn't this be a great day, if you're not a Christian, wouldn't this be a great day to, to come and say, just like Mary, I want to say, Lord, I trust in you. I receive you as my Savior. And I believe that Christ was born for me, grew for me, taught for me, acted for me, died for me, and rose for me. If you need to do that, we're going to ask you to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Mary. Lord, what, a, what an amazing 
woman she was. And I just pray that you'll help us as we think about her. We don't worship her, but we learn from her, just like we do from other Bible characters. But we also honor her obedience. We honor her willingness to suffer even shame and reproach. And we honor her for her faithfulness all the way to the cross to see her son suffering and dying and knowing that in some way he was dying for her as well as for us. And I pray for those today who might need to trust in Jesus right now that they'll do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.